Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to a special episode of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. I am your host, Rick Verbonis, and today I am joined by our special guest, Catherine Schuller Grunwald. All Cap fans and really all Marvel fans know who Mark Grunwald is. Mark, or affectionately referred to as Gru by many, was, of course, the Cap series writer from 1985 to 1995. And unfortunately, he passed in 1996. However, Catherine was Mark's wife at the time, and she proudly continues to keep his legacy alive. And we're happy to have her as a guest today to talk about Mark's career. Welcome to the show, Catherine. Hi, it's great to be here. Um, it's always great to talk about my husband, and especially with people who uh, understand and appreciate him. <laughs> You've, you found the right group because I know. you joined our Facebook group back in October and have been pretty active with your comments and, and sharing yep. stories about Mark. So uh, I can't wait to dive in. Good. I, I can't either. And I, and I think that the questions that we're going to talk about are things that only I know because I mean, I read his work, but I'm not a comic scholar on it. Like I see some of the comments that your fans and followers make and it's like, wow, they really know his work. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Mark, Mark was this uh, ideal fan turned pro, right? He, he turned his self-published uh, fanzine in the uh -huh. late 70s to, to being hired by the then Marvel editor-in-chief, Jim Shooter. And Mark in his career at Marvel was well known for being what they called the continuity cop, right? He, yep. he had this encyclopedic knowledge of all the characters in the Marvel universe. Yep. He was responsible for the consistency of thousands of characters and plot lines for all the uh -huh. titles published. He, he, he worked his way up, right? He, he became the senior executive editor, becoming the number two under Tom DeFalco. Uh -huh. He has been an editor a writer. He even penciled some comics. I remember the, the Hawkeye miniseries. Yeah. So while his highlights may be for some people like creating Quasar, for example, and writing that entire series. Michael Vaughn, yeah. Um, you know, he's also well known for his classic Squadron Supreme miniseries. He oversaw the, the massive official handbook of the Marvel Universe. Yeah. But to us Cap fans, However, you know, his 10-year run on the series really represents so many unforgettable stories, unforgettable characters, lots of memories. But Mark was more than someone who just edited and wrote Cap comics. Talk about his love and affection for the character. Well, that is, uh, you hit the nail on the head with love and affection for a character because I, I think that he took it over when um, Marvel somehow thought that Cap was irrelevant and it was um, a difficult sell, uh, the word patriot, and um, it just wasn't uh, cool to, to, you know, to be rah-rah American uh, in 85. And he, um, he took it on because he, both of us are from the Midwest. And when I first started dating him, I realized that he 
actually lived a life like Captain America. And I know it might sound corny, but he always tried to do the right thing. He always had integrity and he believed in the American dream. He believed in the system and he wasn't, uh, I know he was kind of a hippie too. We both were. Uh, so he was outside the establishment, but for the most part, he really loved his family. He loved um, rules and regulations and uh, he and his father, uh, wrote a comic reality treatise on comic reality, which morphed into the uh, omniverse and the fictional reality because they treated the comic book world, the comic book characters, that whole comic reality, like it actually existed. And uh, there was a, 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 it was a great love that they shared uh, of the whole craft of comic book writing and reading and mythology and uh, all of the the um, uh, aspects of uh, literature that he brought to the table. And he said, I'm going to do that. I, I did that with Cap. I started dating him in 90. So he had only been on this series about five years, uh, but he had done some of the, the best the best stories by that time that are still used to this day because he tried to make Cap real and conflicted. And he knew that he couldn't just be a super patriot and, you know, kind of, oh, my government, you know, my country do or die. Mm -hmm. he, he was a thinking man's um, superhero and he really didn't have a superpower. He was just strong. <laughs> you know, he was just strong. And uh, I just feel like he understood the um, the character deeply because he was Captain America. He, he was like an actor um, kind of going after the role and living the role because he couldn't write it unless he lived it. So he always tried to do the right thing and uh, in his life. And then he tried to give Cap depth and dimension and make him conflicted and um, not such a goody two-shoes. And, and um, uh, I think that came out, especially when he created the storyline about Cap being uh, unhappy with the government and turning his uniform back in. And then U.S. agent stepped in, who was Johnny Walker. And there was, you know, the yes man, and he, he would do anything the government said. And I thought that was so interesting and just uh, some of his best work. Um, and to this day, I mean, they can't write those kind of stories now because of the political climate that we just came through uh, and um, all the hate, uh, all the hatred uh, that existed um, in the last, you know, climate. It just made it so that you had to go back to the 80s for those kind of stories and that kind of um, character development. And I think they're opening, Disney is streaming the first, you know, Winter Soldiers, that whole um, uh, Johnny Walker, US agent. I think Kurt Russell's son, Wyatt Russell is playing US agent. So he's, you know, his character, he created that character. And uh, that's gonna be right out of the gate. And they, that's actually um, the first thing they're leading off with. Yeah, and I, we certainly want to talk with you about uh, that character. But you, you mentioned something I want to go back to, which is uh, about Mark himself, right? Being a um, uh, someone who always wanted to do the right thing. Someone who always was, uh, you know, uh, not only 
for himself, but talk about, you know, his, when he looks at the different forces of oppression and intolerance in America mm-hmm. and, uh, and global society uh, at the time, um, he often addressed this in his writing. And um, if, if he hadn't gone down this path of, of comics, what, uh, what do you think he would have done uh, instead of comics, being that that was his, his nature? Yeah, and he always said that he was born to, and, and comics were the only things that he, he, it was his only form of entertainment. The, uh, you know, he, he grew up reading comics. He was a Stan Lee fan. He was a Justice League fan. And I think uh, because he was taking me to a lot of screenwriting courses, and I think that he loved stories. And he, when he saw, you know, artists coming up the ranks he said I gotta write (laughs) I've penciled you know enough and I know what good good drawing is and good illustrations are and good good comic book art but I think the stories and the continuity are something that I can sink my teeth into so he really did do that for the industry and really made it so that his um his contribution was continuity his contribution was um you know making sure the characters were respected and used in the way they were supposed to be used and he was the custodian of the marvel universe um and i think that um you know he he understood he understood the whole scope of marvel and he also loved working with the people at marvel because when I first started dating him, I went to his apartment and he had pictures of everyone he worked with at Marvel on the walls, framed <laughs> eight by tens. Who takes their you know, people they work with home with them? I said, this is like his universe that he works with and loves and he takes them home and looks at them on the wall. I, it was just to me, that was, I fell in love with him that moment and he had a little place on the wall and he put me up there and it was just, you know, he did those kind of significant things that you knew it came from his heart. And uh, he was just, um, uh, he was such a natural, authentic kind of guy and things evolved to him. You know, he didn't think to do that. He just, it just evolved. And he was the right person at the right time, at the right job. And his career was, um, you know, he, he, he was a comic book writer. And, you know, at the same time, he saw that the cinematic special effects were coming up. So he was kind of gearing up for that because he said, I think the movies are going to be the next big thing. Because really, there was only Batman and uh, Superman who really had great um, uh, movies out. I mean, that Captain America movie, that was, that was a joke. I mean, it's those little ears, you know, on the cap helmet. It was a joke. But he used to bring, fans would send him, you know, picture, uh, um, um, uh, CGI kind of, pre-CGI stuff. And I remember watching Silver Surfer and he said, we're really close to um, special effects being, uh, you know, what these the fantasy can actually be portrayed at in the movies. And he was so right. So I think he saw the writing on the wall with that. And, you know, he was taking tons of screenwriting classes and he, he dragged me to those, but it was, he didn't drag me, you know, we went together, but he made everybody at Marvel um, 
that who he loved and who he respected take screenwriting classes too. Cause I think it just made the stories better because he was a story freak. He loved good stories, good, good stories. And, um, you know, we, he, I think he was, people don't realize it, but he was super into Joseph Campbell. I mean, that was his secret sauce, the hero's journey. Uh, and also we watched this miniseries and I've watched it cause it's been remade, but, um, if anybody has been following the miniseries Poldark, that was one of Mark's favorite um, uh, miniseries episode, Masterpiece Theater. And Poldark was really Captain America. I, I think he gleaned a lot of ideas from the way Poldark, he was an everyman. He was um, a kind of a, a uh, an upper class, but he didn't uh, identify with the upper class. He thought they were, you know, hypocritical and, uh, uh, you know, full of, uh, uh, you know, fraught with with contradictions. And uh, he was much more for the everyman. And a lot of the the, the elements of the of Poldark I saw reflected in in Mark's writings. And we watched that together. It was just such a great series too. And I watched it again. And the remake is even better than the Robin Ellis one. But I just think he, um, you know, he would have gone into screenwriting. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. And I, I, can totally see that screenwriting classes would certainly help in the comic book writing yeah. because of the the visual. So, uh, and you mentioned uh, fans would bring him things sometimes, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Mark was a big collectible guy, wasn't he? I mean, he had oh, yeah. action figures and memorabilia and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he he had three of everything. He said he had one to one to display, <laughs> one to play with and one to keep and, um, you know, put away. So um, there was like, the th it, so we had three of every action figure, <laughs> not just one. So, and he would, he would, uh, you know, hang them up on the walls in, you know, um, the laundry room was decorated with action figures in their um, packaging. Sure. Uh, he also took favorite covers from the 60s uh and 40s and 50s and uh he had xerox those and he had them framed so his favorite covers were all over the apartment and our country house and um he was going to do something with um making modern day covers look like those old covers because he just he, you know he had such a love for them so uh it's you know that that's a uh, he he collected mostly action figures and uh, comics. Yeah, in fact, when he used to have to buy a comic that his mother made him throw out, he would send her the bill. He was like, it was 10 cents when I bought it. And it was $400 now, mom. Thanks a lot. But, you know, she would have that fit where, get these comic books out of here. But, you know, he, he complied, but then he, he regretted it. So he would have to fill in his missing, um, got it, got it, need it. Uh, and so he collected comics pretty much. And I think when he passed away, I had about 25,000 comics. Wow. Um, yeah. So uh, he collected them. And then uh, I just had so much stuff. I mean, he collected a lot of things. So um, and stuff from, you know, his pay, everything meant something to him and he kept it. He kept it. So I had 
I had a lot of uh, a lot of stuff, and I I sold them to the Metropolitan Comic Book Store, and they had a piece of paper inside that said it was the property of Mark Greenwald. Mm-hmm. So there was a kind of providence kind of thing that would go with um, with buying something, but uh, they just bought everything. I didn't I didn't cherry pick and use the Overstreet price guide and see which one was more valuable. I also learned the difference between mint condition and good condition. <laughs> if the staple was rust, rusted or the page was turned, it it de- decreased the value by hundreds of dollars. You know, so but I had a friend who was a fan of Mark's come over and put the whole collection together so um and and annotate it and give me a list so that i could give the comic book store so yeah I so. Can, <laughs> the listeners right now uh very much like myself who would be like oh i would have given anything to have seen that collection and gone through that collection yeah uh, and and I'll, i i think one of the more famous pieces of of gru's collection was the shield that he had right the captain mm-hmm. Is it is that true that the the shield that he has is, is now property of, of Stephen Colbert? Yeah, I mean, he never took that home. He never took it out of the office. He had it in his office. And, uh, you know, his daughter, Sarah, would play with it when she got there. But uh, I think Joe Casada was the one who decided that because what what um, Stephen Colbert was doing with truthiness and uh, the character that he portrayed on the Colbert Report, that he deserved to have the shield. And I think they wrote him a really, you know, wonderful glowing note about why he deserved the Captain America shield. And um, Evie, his wife read it to him and said, I don't know what you did, but I'm really proud of you. <laughs> and he has that on the, on the uh, displayed on his uh, set right there. Um, and I, you know, obviously he's a fan of pop culture, you know, um, and about four years ago, I did a tribute to Mark, um, cause it was 20 years that he had passed and I was, I created this ashograph and, uh, it was <clears throat> Mark's ashes, which he wanted to have me put his ashes into a comic book when he passed away. So I did that and he's in Squadron Supreme. The first 5,000 issues have him in it. Uh, so I told Steven I would stamp the, um, cause I saved a, a little bit of a, a, an urn of the, a little, uh, container of the ashes that I use for the ashograph and uh I said I would stamp the back of the shield and he I think he was a little creeped out <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that right because uh, yeah. when he passed uh, you had seen in his will mm-hmm. wanted to be included uh as we yeah. just be included into uh his lifelong career of being in comics and now this yeah for him to continue that legacy. Um, uh, so tell us, uh, when you saw that, like, what was your reaction and, and, and how did that come about? Yeah, well, you know, he, his father, um, who he respected so much and was a huge comic book fan and got him so hooked as a kid, um, got one of the early cases of Lyme's disease in 1978. And Mark learned really early on um, that you hope for the best, but expect the worst. So he um, 
had me, he insisted when we got married that we had to do our wills. So um, we had to write our wills out. So I, you know, put everything together for me. And then we read the wills at the, um, the attorney's office and he wanted to be cremated and have his ashes put into a comic book. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah, right. Okay. Keep that in. I'll never have to do it. Cut to three years and 10 months later, I was faced with the morning he died that I was going to have to do that. And I said, oh, this is really interesting. Well, he threw himself into his work. <laughs> so I called Marvel and they said, yeah, let's, you know, let's, let's honor that. But little, some of the fans might know this, but um, he actually went into the Marvel Universe poster that Christy Shealy, um actually colored, and he's actually in the poster. Uh, that was the first thing that we put him into, and he's in the ink. And then uh, Marvel said no. He wanted. He specifically said he wanted to be in a comic book. So they um, said, let's make Squadron Supreme that graphic novel that he's going to go into. Alex Ross did the cover. He gave. He actually gave me the the um, artwork uh, from the cover, and he said to Catherine, and you know, I, I'm I'm Miss Mark, and he was just really so kind. I didn't even know people did that. Give you original art, <laughs> and so I have it framed. But um, yeah, so I I think it was right around the time, and Marvel asked me to write the preface to the Squadron uh, Supreme. So I'm you know kind of like you know the, the the widow who made that happen and um it it became my doorway to his legacy advocacy work that i'm doing and everybody knows that i mean i didn't i wasn't a comic book scholar but i knew the man and i knew what made him tick and i knew um he chose the right woman for the job because his wife would never have done that she was jewish she would have gotten him into the ground she was so angry that i did that whole um uh, ashes in the comic uh thing and she wouldn't even let his daughter come to his tributes because she thought it was all going to be about those ashes in the comic book and i was like are you kidding me i mean that's just one aspect of what i did for him i had tributes and uh, lots of things that we did for his life to honor him, but the but the comic book thing was just a tip of the iceberg. So um, unfortunately, Sarah never got a chance to go to any of those tributes, and I think she would have loved to seen how everyone. Uh, I was blown away about how everyone, you know, cared so much about him and was um, so deeply uh, moved and touched by his passing, and how they they thought that you know it was like the end of an era you know he was the heart and soul of marvel comics he was fan turned pro like you said but he was the patron saint of marvel and um he even said to me i my initials are m-e-g mark eugene grunwald i am marvel comics Mar marvel entertainment group yeah. you know he really felt like he was really one with that whole experience it wasn't a company it was an experience he was living and he honored it and he made the very i mean he just made everything fun every day was fun he was a prankster yeah. uh, he made every day a, a a ball a blast i mean and that's hard to do with people who are on deadlines and you know uh trying to make sure that all the comics are out on time he made it fun 
I mean, it was like that whole anarchistic national lampoon kind of feel to the office. So just talking about that, because he, he was, Gru was famous for his practical jokes. Can you share any that come to mind? Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's so many, but the one big one that I don't think anybody really knew was happening because it evolved. The practical joke was uh, one that was immediate and the other one would be annoyingly long. <laughs> so uh, he had this um, idea of, you know, to, to take these posters off the subway of Michelle Marsh and put them everywhere. So uh, why he chose Michelle Marsh, uh, doesn't matter. It was uh, a, a, a local broadcaster. Uh -huh. And so he started paying people a dollar to bring in all these things from the subway or wherever they would find them. And he cut them out and he put them everywhere in the ceilings, in the drawers, under, in the, on the floor. His whole office was done in Michelle Marsh. And then one day, it was M Day, they dressed up in Ghostbusters outfits and they dissembled it and they created uh, cutout faces with um, uh, like popsicle stick uh, 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 masks. And it was the planet of the Michelle Martians. And they went into a room and they all had the same Michelle Marsh face. And, and Danny Fingeroff said to me, and they got work done. <laughs> this was a work day. And I said, yeah, that's what Mark used to do is make things fun. And then it was intensely fun. So you had to get on board or, you know, get off the tracks or, you know, get on the locomotive. Um, the other thing he did was um, Shooter used to hover over him. And you don't hover over Mark because he, he's doing his work, right? He doesn't have to be um, watched or supervised. And it used to bother him that Shooter would breathe down his neck. So he figured out a way to keep Shooter from uh, breathing down his neck. And he built his desk against the wall. So imagine his uh, door is across the room. You had to walk uh, and he put his desk on a a high platform, like about four feet up, and, and his back was to the wall. And nobody knew that was simply because he didn't want Shooter breathing down his neck. <laughs> and as the, the weeks went on, he crumpled up Shooter covers and put them in the pit that was the, the, the uh, area between the door and his desk. So eventually you'd have to wade through all these crumpled up shooter covers to get to his desk. And I mean, you, you couldn't even do anything like that now, build, you know, rearrange your office like that. But I don't think people realized that it all came from the, the fact that he didn't want shooter breathing down his neck. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The other thing too, I heard uh, about, you know, some his sense of humor, right? Was um, wow. so when when you got married in, in 1992, uh -huh. uh, you and Mark gave away uh, as souvenirs to your guests uh -huh. the Captain America Sentinel of Liberty badges. Yeah, but there was also some other fun things too at the at the. Oh yeah, uh, he, you know he didn't find bedroom for. Uh, humor funny he found bathroom humor funny <laughs> so we had a whoopee cushion so he loved you know the fart noise and he found it ecstatically funny uh and we had m&ms we made c&ms and we had a paddle ball because um he would you know 
see how many times you can keep the paddle ball going up in the air because that's you know what you do when you're bored and looking for a storyline continuity um and all the different things that uh, you know were and then a frisbee because he um loved the frisbee but rick parker actually had done the artwork into comic book form um and we uh had the frisbee made with that um artwork so it was uh we had the frisbee and the sentinel badge the m and the cnms the paddle ball and um the whoopee cushion <laughs> so we actually at the event we had a 21 bun salute so everybody had to sit on a whoopee cushion at our wedding <laughs> So it was, you know, uh, it was, what can I tell you? It was a really, and our opening uh, dance just wasn't a dance. It was, we had to go to dancing lessons and have a choreographed opening uh, dance to the love scene from Blade Runner, One Last Kiss. <laughs> and I said, oh my God, they're going to listen to the, 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 the lyrics to this one last kiss. And it's got this real kind of retro romantic theme to it, but it's like, it's the Blade Runner theme. So he got a kick out of that. But I, he loved the fact that I, you know, I went along with everything. And, and, and the fact is, is that he got a lot of credit for the funny things in that wedding, but it's actually me channeling what I thought he would find funny. Uh -huh. And, you know, I wrote the, the, the uh, 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 there was an epithet that, that it was a poem that uh, we did to the whoopee cushion and it was something like you know um, to get raise up your glass and together pass gas <laughs> you know and it was you know, everybody sat on the whoopee cushion and Howard Mackey juggled wine glasses and said you had to have commitment and and communication and compromise to make the 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 marriage work and so everybody was having a great time a really it was a fun fun wedding Larry Hama's band the chaotic opened for us and you know it was just a, a whole marble centric wedding on, uh, in every respect of the of the word and i didn't i didn't throw rice i had everybody you know shoot us with um water guns water pistols so we were out in the garden so i didn't want the rice you know the birds choke on the rice so we did water pistols and you know i had a white umbrella that i you know he would put up for me it's just it, it was just a really fun wedding i mean every aspect of it i just went went into uh complete grueness <laughs> To, to channel sounds uh it sounds like it was uh, quite the event um, i know and we'll be back right after this short break so uh, i want to talk to you about some of gru's stories for captain america right so um you know he had that decade of, of writing cap and, mm -hmm. and gru was known as as being an idea factory uh yeah uh, he was he was great with so many different ideas. Uh, he created so many memorable characters. Uh, you mentioned John Walker, right? Who became the U.S. Yep. Uh, characters like Diamondback, Crossbones, Flag, yep. or many, many others. Flag Smasher. Was there one or two that he was particularly proud of or, or just enjoyed writing? I think he loved uh, Diamondback, <laughs> especially when she was Cap's girlfriend. Yeah. Um, I think he really got a, got a kick out of that. But I think he also loved Quasar because that was his, 
um, he loved Quasar and he named him Wendell Vaughn after his brother-in-law. Uh, and you know, he, he enjoyed product placement to the max. So I think that the free spirit character that he created towards the end of the run, mm. that was based on me and my niece. So my niece came to visit us for about eight weeks and all of a sudden he was creating this character free spirit. And, um, he said it was Kathy Webster and Kathy Weber was her name. And I was like, that's such an homage, you know, to how he worked and how he um, took the time to, you know, kind of bring his life into his work in so many ways. Yeah. It was a really interesting way that he operated. Yeah. And he wrote so many amazing stories, right? You, you mentioned, uh, when Steve Rogers uh, was presented by the commission, uh, his choice uh -huh. decided to give up being Captain America. Um, he became the captain. John Walker was the replacement uh, as Captain America. And really, I think for many Cap fans, that was the pinnacle of Gru's work on the series. Uh -huh. And and I, I remember reading an, an interview with him and you mentioned also that, you know, the stories, you know, about being a patriot back in 1985 and, you know, back in, in the eighties, um, you know, we, we were, you know, guys like John Rambo, right. By Sylvester Stallone yeah. was, you know, all the rage. And, and there were fans, there were Marvel fans that just said, you know what, Captain America is such a boy scout. You know, we much rather see him more like, like Rambo. And so uh, Gru kind of wrote this story of like, okay, well, I'm going to give you, Captain America as Rambo. And uh, it, you know, it was a lengthy story, but it was worth every, every page. And it, it basically kind of at the end showed that, you know, there can only be really one Captain America and that's someone like a Steve Rogers. Can you talk about uh, his thoughts of, of the fan reaction to that storyline at the time? You know, he, um, he would t talk about the fact that he, didn't he, he he didn't have he said i don't have many fans but the ones i have really get me <laughs> so i think that he wasn't writing it so much for anything other than what he believed in and either the fans were going to get it or they weren't weren't and uh i remember one time we were at a convention and it was like seven o'clock in the morning and this guy jumped out of the bushes and it was almost like a misery remember that movie misery with kathy bates and james Kahn? and it was almost like he started screaming at him how he didn't like what he was doing to captain america and i i whoa your fans are fanatic mm -hmm. and um you know we we were both kind of shaken by that but um i think that for the most part they the in retrospect too, in hindsight, they, I think they didn't appreciate, um, grew, um, and he was just another great, you know, comic book creator, uh, in the midst of a lot of great comic books that were coming out. But now when you really isolate it and see what he was really trying to do and, you know, people were reading it and now they've got a nostalgic 
Association because they were reading it and they and it was a cliffhanger series. I mean, you wanted to see the next thing, you want to see the next thing and the next thing. And he, he used to come out of the study and you know shaking his fist in the air saying, I've done something no one can do before me in comic books. I've done the definitive, you know, and he constantly was looking for that. It's never been done before. And no matter what, that's what he was going for. And he wasn't trying to get a fan reaction so much as just trying to leave a significant impact on comic books and not make them boring. Because he said, every comic book is somebody's first, every comic book is somebody's last. So you have to make the story so that people are engaged and understand what's going on and also have a connection to it and, and really uh, find it fascinating. And I think that's what he was trying to do is make Cap multi-level and multi in very depth, uh, have a lot of depth to his character. And, um, you know, uh, it, was, it was pretty interesting how the fans uh, would react uh, and, you know, you loved him or hated him, uh, but, you know, and now in retrospect, they, he was, you know, was, he was just another great contributor to the Marvel universe, but now you realize what a special talent he was yeah. and they don't have people that follow continuity and care about the characters and really want to develop a story arc. Uh, I mean, I saw how he worked. He was meticulous. I mean, the, the guy was really OCD and he would plot things out and, um, you know, he had a whole way of working and he taught other um, comic book editors on my, every Monday he had a, an ass assistant editor class who he would teach people um, who were coming through Marvel the assistant editors how to write comic books so I'm kind of creating a master class based on that editor's handbook called what grew new and you should too because it's really about the love of continuity yeah he was the, and good storylines he was the master when it came to uh, subplots and uh, all mm -hmm stories that were going on and uh, at the same time and and how he built a story uh that would someday pay off and someday you know come back to something he set up maybe six twelve issues ago um so you you mentioned you know love or hate right uh so i have to bring up i'd be derelict if i didn't bring up um in, in 1992 when you the same year you guys got married uh grew wrote right. infamous uh man and wolf storyline uh which featured yeah guests uh, like Wolverine and Cable and which if that wasn't 90s enough right that you know very right. 90s story he also had Steve turn into Cap Wolf and you know love it or hate it <laughs> it's some part of Gru's legacy for the character and when when he was writing that at the time do you recall what his thoughts were on it I mean was he excited about this story was he was there some sort of company directions because he needed to put in these guest appearances or you know, he had been on the, the book seven years at that time. Was it a seven year itch? And he was just yeah, right. I know. I think, you know what it was? I think he was exasperated by the fact that the only comic books that were really, really selling were X-Men. And he said, oh, let's just cancel everything and just do X-Men. And I don't know if maybe that hybrid character and he loved mashups and all that. But if that hybrid character didn't come from the fact that he wanted to skirt on the popularity of X-Men, I mean, 
it might make sense that he was trying to kind of do a crossover. He loved crossovers. He loved mashups. He was the original, you know, the contest of the champion. He was the original mashup, you know, getting it all together. Mm-hmm. So I really think it might have come from the fact that he was exasperated by how well the the X-Men series were, was doing and everything else was kind of secondary to that. Yeah, <laughs> I, back then uh, in 92, no doubt. Uh, and, you know, so during his tenure run, he, he worked with so many different artists, um, and but some of them he had some really nice runs with, right? So he started off with Paul Neary from the uh, the Marvel mm-hmm. Um and uh, Kieran Dwyer had a mm-hmm. he had a, a nice co-plotting relationship with yeah with Crossbones yeah um, he had a, a nice little run with Ron Lim mm-hmm. uh, and long stints with Rick Levins and Dave Hoover so some of these you know really good artists and and some you know mediocre did did Mark uh, enjoy his time with any particular artist that you know you just knew really stood out great relationship. Absolutely. I think, you know, he really loved Paul Neary. I knew Paul Neary. Uh, he visited us. We went on a, a, a retreat, the distributors convention retreat with him. He came uh, to the United States and stayed with us for a few weeks. We went to the Grand Canyon with him. Uh, we went to England when he was the, the um, UK um, editor-in-chief of uh, Marvel UK. And I think he really loved Paul. I think he just, uh, he respected his art, but he loved the guy and he really was a hoot. I mean, the guy was um, really fun. He and Bernie would, you know, would hang out with us. So he's the one that I knew the best. So, I mean, is that any indication of a favorite artist? I don't know, but, you know, he may not have thought his artwork was the best, but um, he certainly loved him the best of, you know, especially to take your wife everywhere with somebody, you know, and, you know, introduce you. Paul stayed with us, stayed with me when we went to England. You know, I spent a lot of time with Paul Neary, a lot of time. And and on the other hand, uh, did, did he feel at times that maybe the artwork was holding the book? you know sales wise or popularity at all did because uh, uh, you know you know there's always ebbs and flows right with uh yeah. with talent yeah and 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 it's a kind of like who you assign for the task you know and you hope that they come through um trying to keep keep it you know going and make it look great um he cared d- deeply about how it uh, would emerge, but I mean, it, there was such a deadline with that business. Jeez. I mean, you know, how much could you do? You assign somebody the task and then, uh, you know, you, you, you want to make sure that, that they do, they do as, as, as great a job as possible. Um, but he, you know, he kind of, he, I think that that was a big, um, uh, source of, um, uh, angst with him is trying to get people to be motivated and to do the best job they possibly could and just keep them uh, interested and engaged and, at, you know, just doing their best work. And some people were wind-up toys, you know, they didn't need any, like Tom Palmer, he always delivered, you know, you never had to worry about what he was doing. But other people, I think, you know, he, he, he may have, um, he may have felt like it wasn't up to snuff. He 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 was very upset when they took him off the the book, though. He was very upset. Ninety five. Yeah. So let's, said, this is going to be my last year with Cap. Let's talk a little bit about that, right? So 
So Mark passed in, in, in 96 and in, you know, very early age, he was only 43 at the time. Mm-hmm. And that 96 was a tough year for Marvel because it was, it was hemorrhaging money. They were mm-hmm. bankruptcy, uh, yeah. seeing his colleagues being let go. Um, Which he had to fire. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and then as you mentioned, you know, taking him off cap the year prior, um, and then life out. <laughs> yeah. So again, he's seeing what's coming with Heroes Reborn. Do you feel all of this is what took a toll on Mark? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. They broke his heart. I mean, uh, he, you can love your do- job too much, Rick. You really can. Uh, and I saw him uh, worrying about the people he had to fire. I mean, they made him fire 25 people, Mike Rockwitz, you know, people that he had worked with who he, they couldn't do anything but comic books. And, um, and he wasn't allowed to help them get other jobs. And, you know, he just, he used to say, I'm going up to talk to Terry Stewart and I'm going to hand him a line of happy horse shit because he didn't, you know, he just didn't feel like uh, he didn't know what to do with Marvel. It was a sinking ship, but he, at the same time, he wasn't a gossiper and he wasn't a, a negative thinker so um he never let on that he wasn't going to be able to save the company and that's what i think really did him in because we went on vacation he had been working and working and working and we went on vacation and that's when a monday morning heart attack happens after you know the ldls and the hdls are out of balance and then you know it the the ldls come in and that's what happened he was young it blew uh, his heart blew up he was so healthy he was a jogger he was a uh you know a vegetarian he didn't he smoke he never did drugs he didn't abuse his body but his men- mental state was such that it was very agitated and they they really did the number crunchers the bean crunchers that they all served to um and they, Ron Perlman was bringing these people in and giving them like $2 million parachutes, you know, and it was like Dick, Dick Rogers who created the colored M&Ms. He never read a comic book and he brought him in as, you know, head of, you know, whatever department, um, creative department. It was like a joke. It was just a joke, you know? So uh, he really kind of lost his way. I think maybe he was looking at leaving and going to DC. I don't know. He didn't know what, you know, really what to do except to keep everybody's spirits up. And that's a hard job to take on. Sure. You know, and then, um, you know, we had that comic book from Ron Lim with him the weekend that he died. So I think it was all just taking its toll and he had a congenital heart defect. So we never knew that he had a congenital heart defect and his father had one too. So, um, you know, he was, he was going down that path. And I suddenly realized with all the heart attacks that were happening, 63% of men, you know, they have Monday morning heart attacks. He was a statistic. He was a type A personality and he, um, you know, he succumbed to the pressures of the job and he took it to heart. He took his role as savior of the Marvel universe to heart. Well, I know he was very well beloved. Oh yeah. And um, you mentioned uh, that when you did that uh, memorial to to commemorate his 20th year of his passing, which was in 2016, um, so many of his colleagues came to to share their thoughts Mm -hmm. and respects for Mark. seeing all of these comic legends, you know, speak in such reverence and such awe of Mark, um, it must've made you very proud of him. 
Uh, yeah, and the one the one that hit me the most was Paul Levitz, because Mark always lamented to me that he never did what he wanted, and the he never he never made a significant impact. He didn't feel like he, you know, made any you know real contribution when he looked back on it. I said, "That's so sad." Yes, you did. And Paul came up to me and he said. He not only you know made a significant contribution, but he built a mountain that other people could climb on, and you know, and I thought that was just such an astute um, observation and so simple, simply, simply put, and it just struck me that you know he was so humble and so striving for the next big thing that he couldn't appreciate what he had done, and you know, and Paul said, yeah, he built a mountain that others climbed on for their success. I was like, oh, that's awesome, awesome. So you're not sure if Mark maybe would have reacted well to seeing this adoration from his peers, it sounds like. Oh, yeah. He, I think he would have, um, he, you know, because he gave it right back to them, you know, and he was upset when Archie Goodwin, you know, got cancer. And he cared very deeply on so many levels uh, about, uh, about people's lives and about their, their well-being and about their contributions. And so I think, yeah, he, he would have said, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, he said, I'm never, you're never too, I, I read his, his diary and it's, you're never too young to die. And I can't imagine not having a significant life. So I think the eulogies would have proven to him that he did make a significant impact. And that's what I'm trying to do as his legacy advocate is to keep that spirit going of somebody who cares about um, the comic book world because it was everything to him. It was every form of entertainment all rolled into one in the highest form of entertainment. And he was obsessed with it. And I think I not being in the comic book world, I was a good balance for him because, you know, I didn't um, I wasn't like. Uh, uh, a fanatic about the way a lot of, of the people who read him were. And he said, I, I really think that was good because you weren't looking for a job <laughs> and you weren't looking for a promotion from me. And, you know, and I, I, he had a hard time dating because that's all that was in the comic book world. So, you know, it was like, I was outside of that, but yet it was very related because I had, I was doing what I loved as a child fashion and we were both doing our dreams and he had a comic group called cheap laughs i had one called the nerve so we were all about you know the 80s and that whole mentality about um you know corporate america and all the the uh the yuppies and all that it was you know corporate greed gordon gecko so we were both on that same wavelength and i thought you know what i've got a lot in common with with this guy much more than you would have thought Yes. He was so much fun. Really fun. Fun marriage. <laughs> so, you know, I just, I want to go back to something you had said earlier. Uh, and that is that Mark has, um, has often mentioned the fact that uh, he didn't think he had many fans, but the ones he did have really get him and what he's doing. A after being part of, of the Facebook group, the, the Captain America comic fans Facebook group for a little while now, do you feel Mark may have undersold himself and, and that there, there's many of us fans out there who get him and, and appreciate all that he's brought to the character and his legacy? Yeah, I think he really, uh, he's looking down on all this saying, wow, I did really, uh, I, I really kind of, uh, I did leave 
a trail of um, great work. He even said to me one time, I wrote uh, as much as my arm. So when I bound his works and gave it to his library, it was as long as my arm. And he even said that, you know, I, he said, I've written, uh, you know, um, enough work that is, is as long as his arm. So there were so many things that he was proud of. It didn't stop him from doing the next big thing or the next best thing. Mm -hmm. and not resting on his laurels by any means. But I think uh, he's realizing that this is, you know, he set out to do that. He set out to, to make his, his mark, so to speak, on the industry and leave it. He always said, leave the industry and any industry you go into better than you found it. And that's kind of like what I did with the plus size because I was a plus size model and it was, it was dreck and horrible when I got in there. And now I think the plus size woman is a, a real fashion icon in her, in her own right. And I think that was part and parcel to how I viewed it. And I learned a lot from the bullpen and how everybody works together and how you can inspire through your own personal example, not leadership, but example. So um, I've learned a lot from just how he um, treated people in his profession with, um, you know, respect and love and also a lot of humor, you know, and um, getting a kick out of them. And, you know, he was a great guitarist. He, he didn't stop at just comics. He just, he, he was pretty much a, an everyman in terms of his talent. Well, he certainly did leave the industry better than he found it. No right. Doubt. He did set that out. So, Catherine, if if a fan uh, of Mark wanted to to get something stamped with the Ashograph, um, how would they get in touch with you? Well, uh, you could probably just hit me up on Instagram at Schuler Cat um, and just let me know. Um, I have I I do. I think it's funny because what he loves the best are old comic books. Mm -hmm. There's something about the porousness of the paper, the ashes and the ink, they sink in in the fixative. It's just a, it, it's an amazing um, uh, marriage of, of, uh, of ink, ash and paper. Um, but I do have a commemorative piece that um, his actual, he, actually his nephew did it. And it's, um, it says in his dreams, he ran with the superheroes. In his life, he showed us what a superhero could be. So mm -hmm. I actually stamped that, um, and uh, you know, it it kind of is part of what um, <clears throat> the um, and then there's um, uh, of the piece that I do. It's the Jim Lee um, illustration of Cap with the you know he's standing there very proud and. Uh, I forget what issue it's from, but um, Marvel created 250 of those posters for me for the tribute, and um, I stamped those because it's a limited edition. So it's creepy, it's cool, it's collectible, it's controversial. So um, I give them uh, the uh, the my nephew his nephew's um, uh, little drawing with the superhero in his life. He showed us what a superhero could be and also the Jim Lee poster that's stamped and it's got a letter of authenticity. So I don't just stamp anything that people want stamped. Um, okay. it, it doesn't take, it doesn't take to certain meanings. If somebody has a, 
60s, 70s, not the shiny paper um, comic book, but, you know, the old birdcage liner <laughs> type mm. of, of, uh, of comic book. I could stamp that. That I could stamp. You know, Understood. With, with his um, um, ashograph. I call it an ashograph because it's like ash and it's an autograph. Um, and it was funny because when I went to, they they sold those first Squadron Supremes out so quickly. And they said to me, we need more ash because we're going to do a second printing. And I went to the warehouse and I couldn't find him. <laughs> I, I knew the urn was there. I couldn't find him. And I said, it's too dark and cold. I'm just going to tell them that just one printing only. So that's why it's not in any other printing, um, because I couldn't find it. Uh, I couldn't find it for the rest of the printings. And they, um, and I said, you know what? I, I went back like the next couple weeks, and it was there. So I think you know, Mark being the ultimate prankster, he may have hit himself. <laughs> he knew that. I wouldn't be able to do these ashographs now if I had given all the ash away. Right. And so, uh, uh, your Instagram, uh, again, is so that... Schuller, uh, S-C-H-U-L-L-E-R-C-A-T. Schuller Cat. Got it. All right. Well, listen, uh, Catherine, it was a real <laughs> pleasure talking with you. Thank you, Rick. Uh, I want to thank you for joining the podcast and uh, we certainly look forward to speaking with you more on the Facebook page. So, so. Yeah. I'll tune in. <laughs> All right. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye, everyone. And Excelsior. Uh, <laughs> well, that wraps up this episode. And if you've enjoyed this episode or any of our other episodes, please rate, review, subscribe wherever you listen. We appreciate your help growing the podcast incredibly. And hey, if you want to chip in a buck or two uh, to help cover expenses, you can always go to our anchor page, which is found in the show notes. And we appreciate your support there too. So thanks again, everybody. And we'll talk to you in the next episode.